Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today is a special day because we have somebody who is one of the more brilliant commentators on all things going on around us, none other than John Heilman. How are you doing today, man? On all things going on around us. Um, well, I'm doing culture, all right. Culture, politics, entertainment. We might talk about um, sports. You know, you, you, you know it all. Uh, I know, uh, I know a little bit about a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit about a lot, which means basically I'm, I'm a shallow dilettante, essentially. Is what you're trying to say. <laughs> I love it. All right. Good, good uh, to see you, bro. How are you? I'm good, man. I don't, I don't have any complaints, at least none you really want to hear about. Right. Um, you know, we, my show is unique with the first question that we ask, because we ask every guest the first question, which is to walk us through the arc of your career. So you're a veteran journalist that has covered Washington for two decades. How'd you get your start in the business and why do you, why'd you just choose to, to cover Washington of all places? Well, I, I, I mean, to, to not to, to contradict anything, I've lived in Washington, D.C. since 1997. I believe that's 25 years. So, so you're outside um, of the bubble. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's an important, it's an important thing for me too, partly because of what you were saying a second ago about, you know, trying to be uh, I'm interested in a lot of things and I just I do not like one of the things I learned uh Bakari over the course of my career how did I decide to do it I don't know I, I basically woke up at some point in, when I was a, a a very young person before I even graduated high school and thought there was really only one thing I was qualified to do which was like I literally could write that was like only about the only skill I really had and I I swear if I hadn't um, if I hadn't gone down that path, I'd probably be sleeping in a bus shelter now because I don't really know that I would have been really any good at anything else. And it was the only thing I ever really wanted to do. I eventually ended up doing television stuff, which I do now at, at the Circus on Showtime and, and on MSNBC and other places. But really for the first, I don't know, 20 odd years of my, of my professional career, I was, just, I was a magazine writer and an online writer and a, and a book writer. So um, I did it because I loved it and because I, it was the only thing I was, I was good at. And I, and I, I gotta say, I, like, I went from, I went to graduate school, I went to Northwestern, uh, to the Medill school of journalism as an undergraduate, and then to the Kennedy school at Harvard, uh, to do public policy. Cause I was really interested in two things. I was kind of interested in culture and I was interested in politics. And I thought that if I had to choose between writing, like if I was, I, I thought about a vocation and avocation and vocation, like politics and power interested me more as a thing to make my job and culture seemed like a more of a thing that I could do on the side for fun. They both have kind of woven together over time. And, and, you know, I think that now in our, in our world, and I'd be interested to hear what you say about this because, you know, Barack Obama uh, down in Georgia, where you are, you know, yesterday, I've had a couple conversations with him about this, about how our politics now is more about culture than it is about economics or about about policy or politics in some ways it's like culture drives everything in our politics now so for me the streams have kind of come together but that's how i started out and um and i i just you know i started writing about um uh the first real job i had in journalism was a, at the economist magazine writing about the media industry but i always knew i would kind of get back to politics and um and over the course of the time since then that's like 31 years 32 years i've basically have written about um, I really think my my topic has been power more than it's been politics. Although I've written books about presidential campaigns, I've also written a book about Bill Gates and 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 the Microsoft antitrust trial. I've written I've written the letter from Silicon Valley for for the New Yorker. So I wrote about tech titans for a while. I've written about Wall Street. I've written about uh, I write about about how power works and people who have it want it. Uh, trade or uh, things around it, how they exercise it, how they lose it, how they get it, what they do with it once they have it, 
um, that's what I've done. And, and, um, I still think, you know, it's worked out. I mean, I, I've, I've been, I've never been bored, which has been the most, I, I have a very, I have ADD. I love, I love what I do. I love what I do. And I get to ask questions of interesting people. I get to talk to people like you, but I get to say, you know, when, when you were in politics more professionally, I love talking to smart people, asking them questions and learning about the world. And I get to do that. And I've gotten to do it for this whole time. And that's been fun. You, so and I'm not, I never get bored. Let me, easily bored. let me ask you a question. That, and I know you're, this is, a, this actually means that you will not be bored, but how has things changed since the election of the 45th president of the United States? Um, how did, how did November of 2016, um, change, change the world. Uh, well, change the country, change, change things. I think, and change um, the way you cut and change, change the way you do your job. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's a big question. That's not a true false question, nor, nor multiple choice. I mean, I would say it was funny. I was talking to somebody about this last night on the phone. I was, um, I was, I was looking through, so I ran across an old photograph of me, uh, in 1996 at the 1996 St. Patrick's Day Parade, um, walking next to Patrick J. Buchanan, um, him with him in a, a, a tartan driver's hat and a sh carrying a shillelagh. And I was trying to explain to this younger person that like everything that Pat Buchanan campaigned on in 1992 and 1996 was all what, what Donald Trump ran on in 2016. You know, he wanted to build a wall and he was basically a nativist and a protectionist and a racist and an isolationist. It was like all it was all it was like the blueprint for for Trumpism. And there's always been. And so I, the, the reason I say it is that like, you know, the, the impulses towards uh, white grievance, populism, nativism, xenophobia, all the things that Trump played into um, we're all have all been in our politics for forever. Right. I mean, they're not, they're not new things. I think, you know, what 16 did was it reminded everybody that Trump was able to win, reminded everybody of two things. One, which was that, you know, having a black president for eight years did not put an end to racism or white grievance or any of that stuff. That, that was not, you know, the, anybody who yeah. thought that, that all that stuff had been resurfaced in the course of Obama's eight years. And that, uh, that a lot of what Trump was uh, successful in doing was campaigning on uh, tapping into that backlash. And then the other thing was the backlash against, against, you know, the cultural change that Obama represented racial change that the country was going through demographic change. The other thing was that, you know, it really made you aware of just how many people are just fucking pissed at the establishment across yep. the board. And there's a difference between the Sanders it, voters and the Trump I was voters. Gonna, I was going to, you just, you, that was a perfect lead. I was going to say, because what we realized is that there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the disruption of Bernie Sanders and the disruption of Donald Trump in terms of the populism, but it also wasn't just relative to the United States. We saw this same right. populism right. come around the world. Is that a good, accurate yeah. assessment? Well, there's an, yeah, and there's an uglier face on it and a, and a prettier face on it, depending on where you stand on the ideological <laughs> spectrum. But, but look, I mean, the reality is that like, when, when you really looked at like, what's driving a lot of that stuff, I think, you know, in the end is, you know, people look at, have been sitting at, have you know, the average American families have been, have been stuck for 30 or 40 years and they're not seeing their life, you know, the American dream, the notion of like, my kids are going to be better off than I am and their kids will be better off than they were. A lot of people are like, you know, establishment politics isn't working for me. The economy is not working for me. The 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 cult. I I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I think the establishment is fucking me over. I think there. I think the system is rigged. I, whether that's whether you think it's rigged by by the politically correct woke mob on the left, if you're a lot of Trump followers, or if you think it's like the Wall the Bernie people, it's like the Wall Street, uh, the oligopolists yeah. and the and the billionaire class. Every there's just a level of seething anger at right. establishment like within the 40 yard lines politics is really has been out we, there. And I think we Trump that on, how do we miss that for 20 years though? Cause it's been there for it's, it didn't just 
a rise in 2016. But I think everyone missed, I mean, even journalists missed that level of anger. I think, you know, that, um, that, I mean, because yes, I think, uh, look, I mean, uh, you know, you know, Bill Clinton campaigned to try to try to tap into that frustration. Obama tapped into it. It's not like it's not like a politics had ignored that it was out there. I think people just rec- did, did not see quite how how willing people were when it came to Trump to like just say, you know what, he might he's a stick of dynamite, and he and I and they or they thought he was a stick of dynamite. And we're gonna just roll it into the to the middle of Washington D.C., blow it up, and we'll see where the rubble lands. And you know what? It might be really bad and really ugly and really disruptive, but but it may be better than if I mean for some of these voters at least, it may be better than than continuing along a path where we're where nothing's really changing very much. And I think the answer the answer to your other question. I mean, I think it obviously exposed a lot of these things, a lot of stuff that was like just below the surface for a lot of people over the course of the four years he was in office. And I think, you know, the other thing is in my business is it challenged people uh, to to shed themselves of, uh, and some people have done this and some people haven't, to shed themselves of the, on the one hand, on the other hand, you know, um, we can't call a lie a lie. We can't call a fascist a fascist. We can't call a racist a racist. We have to be delicate about that stuff. What some people would say is racial, racially tinged rhetoric. It's like, no, that guy's a racist. You know, that guy's a liar. That guy's, and I'm not just saying Trump, I mean, across the board. And I think that's been good for our business. There are a lot of problems in our, in my business, but it's been good in our business to have, to have a debate about when is it, is it okay? I think the answer is yes to this, obviously. Is it okay when someone is telling a lie to call it a lie. Is it okay when someone is being a racist to call them a racist? I, I, I can't think it, I think we have to, because that's what, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. I remember, I remember I was on TV with my good friend and mentor. I love him to death. David Axelrod. It's funny. You're drinking coffee. I'm drinking rosé for the people who are not watching, but listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's past but, noon, uh, brother. You can have whatever it, you want. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's four o'clock somewhere. Um, and Axe pulled me aside after we got off TV one day and was like, you can't call people a racist. And I had just called Donald Trump a racist because of his, uh, if you recall, it was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget. I was on State of the Union and I called him a racist after um, uh, he was saying he didn't remember who, uh, what's my, from Louisiana, David Duke. He David didn't remember Duke. who David Duke, he did, who David Duke was, right? He was, he was playing footsie with, with racism. And then that evolved because, you know, even Axe will tell you that although it was it was persona non grata for you to call people a racist, the rules had changed and you have to call out a lie when you see a lie. It, but along that same thing of things, uh, same line of things changing here in Georgia, I believe Raphael Warnock's going to win by four or five points, which is a lot. I think he's going to win by a few hundred thousand votes. Georgia's the new ground zero for American politics in the way that Florida and Ohio used to be. And what is that or what does this election tell you about where our politics are now? And I want you to include in that answer, even with someone who probably should not be running for office or have the capacity to run for office, we see him doing well in Herschel Walker. Well, look, I mean, I, you, you know, you, you live in Atlanta and so I'm, I'm a, and you're a very politically savvy guy. So I'm always a little hesitant to, to uh, engage in a lot of pronunciamento about um, people's homes. Uh, but like, I, I think I, I'm that, not, this isn't my home. I, I'm just, I'm just here for the campaign. This is my here home. For so, the campaign. Okay, yeah, right. I went to Morehouse. I lived here for a little while, but oh, so so you, so you know, you know, you know, Atlanta. You know, but look, I mean, 
I don't know, maybe you disagree with this. I think Georgia is still a Republican state. And, no and it's not I, a, I don't think it's purple it's, at all, but it, you, look you at, can't look, discount the last two cycles. I, I can't. I'm not going to discount it. I think, look, I mean, it's the reason that it's not it's not unimportant. Like Georgia's changing tremendously. And, you know, the Atlanta and the Atlanta suburbs are super cosmopolitan. They're not. They are purple. Like there's a lot of Georgia that's purple. But there's also a lot of Georgia that's really, really red. And demographic change is happening there. And the way that it's happening in Arizona is the other place that's like this, right? Where it's basically like maybe Arizona's a little bluer, in fact, than Georgia, but but they're neither, but they're both, you know, they are both the frontier of our politics because of the way that the racial politics is demographic change is driving change in racial politics and and ethnic politics and suburban versus rural, suburban, urban, rural dynamics are really on display. The future of America is is, is on display in those in those those places. But what do we look at? You know, Brian Kemp is a normal Republican. I don't mean that in like I'm not praising the guy. I'm saying you can disagree with all of his policies or whatever, but he's an establishment conservative politician in 2022. And he kicked Stacey Abrams' ass. And that tells you what you need to know about Georgia. You know. The, the the Democrat Democrats have had have put up some strong candidates. Casey Abrams is a very strong candidate, and yet she's she lost both times she ran statewide against Brian Kemp. And in 2020, what's the difference in 2020? In 2020, you had Warnock and 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 uh and Ossoff got boosted by the fact that Donald Trump's name was on the ballot. Donald Trump was a big giant weight on the Republican Party and basically a Republican state. What's the issue in 2022? What you just said a second ago, it's not a partisan statement to say that Herschel Walker is wildly unqualified to be a United States senator. It's not a partisan I mean, statement. He's, he's, like, I mean, he, he's, he's not mentally lives in equipped. Texas. But he's he not mentally, lives in Texas. <laughs> but more than that, he's not mentally equipped to be a United States yeah, senator. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I just he's just not. You can't not. You can't just the guy is not is not by if he was I would say that this is if he was a Democrat, he's not he's not equipped to be a United States senator. So Democrats have been lucky in the sense that the stakes have been high and Republicans have saddled themselves with these either in the case of Trump, who had toxic in the Atlanta suburbs, or Walker, who's had all these other issues that relate not to his ideology or his positions, but just the fact that he's not up to the job. So, but when you get a normal Demo, a normal Republican, I'm saying yeah. Brian Kemp, you know, <laughs> running against running against Stacey Abrams twice. He he beats yeah. her once close narrowly and he beats her once handily. I yeah. think that tells you what you need to know about Georgia, which is that it is the future of our politics, but it's not a blue state by any means. And it's it's more red than purple. Um it's just the Democrats have been have, the Democrats have strength there. But they've also had a hand in certain Republican liabilities that have helped them out in 2020 and 2022. That's taking nothing away from Raphael Warnock, nothing away from the guy. You win against who you get. No, who you, yeah. you play, you play the game against who your opponent is. You got to win it. So you guys, you know, still got to win it. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's huzzah, a toast to breakfast. So let, let's talk about my favorite show on TV, which is one of the reasons you're here. I got to, you know, I'm gonna pick your brain about random shit, but why you're uh-huh. here is to talk about the circus, which is my favorite show on television. Uh, don't tell you. my bosses, don't tell my bosses at CNN that my favorite show is not CNN this morning. That's my second favorite show, Don. Right. I know Don Lemon listens to the show. My favorite show though, is the circus for people who haven't watched it. What is it? 
Um, you know, it's a show we make on Showtime. Uh, we finished this. We just finished our seventh season. So we've been making the shows in 2016. Jesus, it's, um, it's seven seasons? Seven seasons. We started in 2016. We've made the show now about 125 episodes or so. Uh, the, the show airs on Sunday nights on Showtime when we're on the air, which is, you know, some chunk of the year. Um, like all shows on premium cable, we have hiatuses and then we're on the air when at different times. And um the shows it's what it really is is more than it's not like that it is i mean i say this not in a boastful way it's just not really like anything else on tv yeah, in the sense that yeah. we make a real time we make a little miniature documentary about politics every week um from from scratch every week so like we're not this isn't a documentary we spend months or weeks or years making it's like we start on we start shooting on sunday or monday and we stop shooting on friday or saturday and in the process of that week we're assembling a 30 minute documentary that's basically about usually about one big story and maybe a, a couple of sub stories about what was important in American politics that week. So it's a real time documentary and we make it on the fly. And, um, and, and so it has both this sense of like, it's a, it's a, it's a doc in the sense that it, it tells a story. It's not just like a news digest here are the five most important stories of last week, <laughs> but it's also, but it's also for a lot of people because it focuses on what we hopefully we kind of get, what was a big, if not the most important, a big important story of the week? But a you're lot also of people, not in. You're not in Washington. We're not. Well, you're not sometimes in a, we are. Not a, but but you, it depends. It's not Washington it's, folk. It depends. But you're also not depends. in studio. You're we're also not, not in, studio. in studio. It's a field show, 100. That's the other thing. If you haven't seen the show, we're out. Out. We're we're never. There's no sets. There's no. There's no suits on sets. There's no pundits. There's no. Uh, but cable analysts. There's none. It doesn't look like cable TV at all. It looks like a documentary. It looks like you're out shooting uh, 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 on the ground, boots on the ground documentary. And sometimes we're in, you know when when in the years when there's not a campaign in the even the odd numbered years. You know, we we spend time in D.C. We've covered confirmation hearings and and White Houses and and big legislative uh, fights. But we also we do that even a little differently because we're not again we're not sitting in those in those suits. We're not wearing those suits and sitting on those sets and and doing what cable news does very well. Cable news exists. Yeah. It does what it does really well. We don't try to do that. Um, <laughs> that's that's our that's our but that's our that's our story. And um and it's funny because a lot of people watch it because they think it looks beautiful. And it is, I mean, I say this, you know, we, it looks, we, make, we make a thing that looks like a movie every week. It looks and expensive. Our, and that it, means it looks good. We, 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 we have really good, uh, our deep, our, our guys, who are, our camera guys are fantastic. And our, and our post-production team, our editors are really amazing and they do an incredible job. So it looks really beautiful. It looks like a, like a movie in some ways. And a lot of people watch it because of that. And then a lot of, some people who are like, not who are turned off of like the constant 24 seven news cycle, they're like, you know what? If I watch the circus every week, I basically know it was important that I have last week. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> shit. There's a lot of stuff the cable chews over all day long. And I yeah. do it. You know, you do it. We all do it. But they're like, I don't really need to know all that. I just like, what was the big important thing that happened last week? Tell me the one or two big stories that mattered, and I'll be done good. So we have people who watch for that reason too. You're on season seven, as you just said. That's a long time for any show. Um, there's shows that don't make it nearly that long. Why do you yeah. think the show has lasted as long as it is? And my question to you, one of the things that I as I was writing your script today and, and yesterday, I wanted to pick your brain on this because people are listening and maybe you're, you know, the bosses at Showtime are listening. What yeah. haven't you covered on the show that you want to cover? Oh, um, <clears throat> well, I mean, uh, it's a good, good second question. Let's go. It'll take me a second to figure that out. I think it's worked because um, because it's different and because there's so much sameness in media that like when you see something that looks different um, uh, and people, I mean, 
I do think there that differentiation is a key thing in media. If you yeah. make something that's different and it's good, um, um, it obviously has to be intelligent. Has to be um, has to be has to bring something to the party in terms of of what it's saying about what's going on. But it also the differentiation is a big is a big thing. And I think you know we 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 are very respectful. I would say this is not a show for uh, for. Um, how to put it? It's not a show for diehard liberals. It's not a show for. It's not. No, it's not a show for the fringes. It's not a show for the fringes. It's not. It's not dramatically. I mean, we have points of view on things, but it's not like wildly partisan. And it's and it's very. We treat our viewers with a lot of respect. We kind of we act. We treat them as if they're like that. That we don't have to. Uh, uh, we don't have to spell out everything for everybody. We we. It's not an insider show, but it's also a show that assumes that people have a basic level of of understanding and interest in politics. So if you're not interested in politics, you're probably not watching the show. So we're able to communicate, you know, in that premium cable way where we kind of assume a certain level of intelligence, sophistication on the part of our audience. And I think our audience appreciates that. So differentiation, intelligence, and, and, uh, and, uh, and a little, um, and, and, and that, and that kind of, uh, even when we're making points and being like, you know, we haven't taken, we took very seriously the threat that Donald Trump posed to democracy and to the election deniers and what they proposed to democracy. But even then we keep it, there's always a little humor in the show. There's always like a little bit of a, you know, we're not screaming at you and and telling you we're not. And again, I say with all due respect to my friend Bernie Sanders, we're not like a Bernie Sanders speech. It's not like we're 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 not like we're not we're not telling you what to think. We're not we're not we're not proselytizing. We're we're trying to like kind of like bring you in and That's say just hey, how man, Bernie you're... talks. That's just how he yeah, talks. Yeah, I know. I, it's not, I'm not criticizing Bernie. I just like we're not we're not like that. We're not pre, we're not we're not, we're not we're not preachers. I guess is what I'm trying to say. We're we're kind of like hey man, come behind the curtain and let me. That's the other thing I think the show why people like the show is because there's a little bit. Everybody likes BTS these days behind the scenes, right? Like something that kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and says, Hey, here's what, here's what you see out in front. Here's what's going on behind the scenes a little bit. People like to get that in that internal, that kind of inside look at what's going on. And I think, you know, if there's anything, you know, we, we've been abroad very, almost never on the show. We went and did a, we did an episode of the show back in like season three. I think we went to Russia and did a whole episode of season premiere, our first oh, episode. Oh man, you know what you, I want you to do, man? I want you to, I want you to reach out and I want you to do a Brittany Griner episode from Russia. Actually, walk See, through one of those penal colony, co- colonies, that, and that'd be that's a good idea. That, I'm, I'm writing that one down. Um, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not kidding. I think you know we. I like the idea. There was one point where we thought we would when there was a there was like CPAC was going to do a thing in 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 uh, in Hungary, Hungary right? Yeah, and we were like, "Oh, that'd be good to do." Like to to your original, your first question, which was, you know, the 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 growth of right wing uh, of of, of right wing populist nationalism is not just an American phenomenon; it's happening around the world. Orban, you know, has connection has the ties to Trump. We thought uh, if the timing had worked on that, we were thinking about going and doing that. I'd like to get the show abroad a little bit more in the next couple of years. If there were a couple of big, there are stories that have to be stories that kind of relate back to what's going on here. But if we can, if we could find a way to get the show um, uh, to do a couple foreign things that had re- that had relevance to the United States, I'd be into that. Yeah, if you can, if you can do a Brittany Griner episode, I think people we read about the penal colonies, but nobody really knows what that means. Maybe interview a few people who who've been in those. When will we know about season eight? Uh, we, I mean, when will we know? Season eight, uh, we're back on the air uh, in uh, in February. Um, February. So season eight, season eight will kick off. I'm not sure about the dates. I'm not sure I would be allowed to say even if I. Even I didn't know, but we're back. We'll be back. Well, you know, our seasons are usually broken in half. So we usually do a winter, a winter, spring set of episodes and then a fall set of episodes. And we'll be back uh, in the February, March, April area uh, next year to kick off season eight. My last question for you is Joe Biden 
Does he run for re-election? Is he too old to run for re-election? I'm not trying to be ageist. Um, does he win re-election if it's Trump? What's your analysis of Biden 2024? Bakari Sellers, who who knows the ridiculousness of this question, even as he asks, it's like you're asking me to predict. He's like, who do I look like? You know, like Mr. <laughs> Domus over here. I don't know. Yes. You know, was yes. it? Well, is he going to run? People is he going to win? Ask, people ask these dumbass questions. Of course, all the time, so. <laughs> they ask this. I know. I know. It's the. I mean, I understand why people are curious. I mean, I don't know if you if you live inside Joe Biden's head, you might have an answer to that first question. I'll tell you what I think. I think. Um, I think that uh, I think he's always been very serious about running for re-election. I think he's been serious when he said he was going to run, but that that is all that's the case with as you know about politicians. Like they're they're always you know when they say they're running, they're usually they usually mean it, but they mean it until they don't mean it anymore. Like you know they, sure. they, they can change their mind any moment. If if Joe Biden had been if the Democrats had been shellacked, crushed in the midterms, would that have affected Biden's thinking about this? I think it would have for sure. And and he now looks he now sitting here, his inclination. I think his, to, his inclination has been to run his inclination to run is exacerbated by Trump running because he thinks he's the strongest candidate against Trump. He's proven that in his, in his mind. And he has proven it in fact that he's the only person who's ever run against Donald Trump and beaten him. And I think he looks at the midterms and says, I had a hugely consequential first two years and we didn't pay any political price. You know, Democrats surprised everybody, all the pundits, all the smart people who said we were going to get crushed in a red wave. I think Biden's riding high right now, but does that mean I absolutely think he's going to run for re-election? I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know is that having watched Joe Biden since I first met him in 1986, is that the one thing I'll tell you is that whatever date you think he's going to he's going to ultimately reveal his plans, it'll be two months after that. He's he's like he's the most notorious foot dragging. Uh, he's just going to he's going to dick around a lot. We're going to be waiting until May, June to get the answer to this question. And I don't know, man, I think I'm like 56, bro. How old are you? 38. Damn, OK, so I'm, 56. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, out loud. I'm I, was, old. I, was, I, was, I was thinking that I didn't mean to say that. I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. OK, I'm 56. You know, Obama's 62. Like and I know that Barack Obama you know, in his, in his head and his heart, you know, thinks I'd be a good president right now. I could do this. Oh, you are, you know, you can see but, it in his swag. But, yeah, but, he, but he all, but he also, but he also thinks, I don't know if I'd be very good at this at 72, you know, <laughs> like most of the people I know who've been like, you know, I, I don't like think about the way I feel right now at 56. I'm like, I could keep doing this job for another 10 years, but call me like when I'm 75, do I want to be still doing what I'm doing right now at that level of energy? I don't think I'm going to have it at that point, man. I'm starting to break down now. So when I think about a guy running for president, being president at 80, this is not a Joe Biden knock. It's just a fact. Like how many 80 year olds, you know, you know, your grandfather, you know, some, you've met some 80 year olds in your life. I mean, time is not, is not kind to anyone regardless of their political persuasion or their their extraordinary gifts. I think Joe Biden's, you know, he's, if anybody gets elected president, I mean, he's, I've known the guy forever and I think he's done impressive things. Like I said, I think he's had an incredible two-year run here and he and he proved everybody wrong in these midterms uh, who was a naysayer about him. But he's still going to be 80. And, mm. you know, and, and as your friend, as your friend uh, David Axelrod has said, you know, he'll, if he gets reelected, he would be closer to 90 than 80 when he ended his second term. Now, I, I just I just put it out there. I mean, eighty two to eighty two to eighty six as president of the United States uh, is that the optimal age to be running the United States of America? I'm not I just sure. I, I'm not sure that's the optimal age to run a radio shack. 
Right? I mean, let's just be honest about it. Now, I mean, you're, I mean, be, I think you're supposed to be going to Denny's at 4.30, like right. enjoying life. You want to keep Red Lobster, and, and, brother. Yes. Red, lo- the, Red the, Lobster the blue, for the early bird special. The yes, early bird exactly. special, yes. <laughs> I just like, uh, I mean, I'm, it's not a diss on Joe Biden. It's just, I'd say that about anybody. I'd say anybody. that about me. I mean, you, you're, my... you're preparing to, I mean, this is the age where you're preparing to have the conversation with your parents about taking their car keys. All right. That, that's where right. we are. Now, let, now look, but you know, if you ask me the question, and again, I say this in a not partisan way, I, you know, let's say, I say over and over again, Bakari, I'm like, I'm on team democracy. And like anybody who believes in American democratic institutions, rule of law, uh, free and fair elections, respecting uh, the the will of the voters, I'm I'm basically on your team. Joe Joe Biden is on that team. Donald Trump is not. There are some Republicans who are on that team, but Donald Trump is not. So if you ask me, you know, Joe Biden, at, I don't care. Joe Biden at, at age 78, 82, 86, 90, I'll still take the guy on team democracy. You know, if it if it means if it means he's the guy who could stop the guy who would push the country into authoritarianism and and uh, uh, and, and an autocracy. So, you know, I mean, I, that's not when I say that I think 82 to 86 is not the optimal a- age to be president. Doesn't mean I wouldn't necessarily think that Biden was the better choice, depending on who he was running against. But I do think it's a question people have to ask. And I don't think it's a partisan question. You know, is that, you know, is that really what is that? that do you bring the level of energy that we that would ideally want from a president at that age? I think that's a question many voters will ask. It will be a big it will be a big factor. Biden runs for election, maybe the central factor for yeah, a lot of voters who decide uh, the election. I'm, yeah, you're right. Well, last question. How can people follow you on social media? How can people watch the circus as I do often? Well, Showtime, uh, uh, you, you got to sign. You got to be a Showtime subscriber. Then you got to get on there and you can go on Showtime anytime or on the on the app and you can find all those circuses, all those 120 whatever episodes going all the way back. They're all there in the archives. You can go back and watch the whole thing. You can binge it. Bakari, some weekend you get a really big, a really big bag of weed and just like just spend the weekend in the circus, like go back and relive the last uh, seven years by watching it. But yes, it's on the show. It's, 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 all, it's all archived on Showtime. We're on when we're on the air. When season eight kicks off, we'll we debut on Sunday nights at eight o'clock uh, in that primo slot on uh, on, uh, on Showtime. So you, we we pop up our first showing is Sunday nights at eight, uh, and that's how you watch the circus. And uh, for me, I'm you know for now at least. What do you think about Twitter? You think you're going to stay on that platform? What's your thought? My thoughts are this: first of all, like just from a purely engineering standpoint, Twitter can't. It's not going to disappear, right? I mean, they have hundreds of servers. It's going to be around. Um, the rise of hate and Nazism and all this other shit, Elon's sporadic, yeah. you know, weird texting, uh, tweeting. I, I feel like I have to stay on them because there are too many people that get their news and information. And if we leave, if people who are good people like yourself and me, and well, I hope people think I'm a good person, if we all leave, then I think it creates a vacuum in another echo chamber. It's like Tucker Carlson. And yeah. I just want to be there to push back. Well, I'm uh, I'm still on there. Reason I, you asked me about social media. I'm at Jay Heil, at J-H-E-I-L on Twitter. I'm at John Heilman at, or at Jay Heilman on uh, Instagram. Instagram's a nicer place, uh, I generally find, than Twitter. Twitter's just like, man, it's very unpleasant to be on that platform. But a lot of terrible, I mean, so much, so much venom and toxicity on that platform, even yeah. before. And it's people who up. wouldn't say this shit to your face. I mean, oh my you God. Would, you would yeah. fuck these people up if they, if they were like in front of you and said to you what they tweet. Well, they, I, these people, they, they, no one, if you actually, if anybody actually thought about it that way, 90% of the things that, 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 that we both find incredible, that people incredible, like as in astonishing that people tweet us, it's not even, they wouldn't even, you don't have to fuck them up because no one would ever say those things to your face. And no one would ever say No one would like, 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 oh my God, if they had to actually say it to their face, or even if they had to actually have their name attached to it, as opposed to Correct. 
at oh archangel dot you know six four nine two three middle finger. You know they they wouldn't say it then even if they had, they had their name attached. So look, it's a toxic platform, but I agree with you. It's obviously been one that's really central to the political discussion for the last X number of years. So I'm still in there, but it could get bad enough that I'd be like, you know what, you know, you know, time to peace out. We'll see. Mm. Well, John, been a pleasure having you on my show. Can't wait for there to be something interesting enough for me to be on the circus one day. Maybe Ooh. the South Carolina primaries. Let me know so I can. Well, the getting... South Carolina primary is going to go number one now, right, bro? It they're like, should. you know, they're putting, they're, they're talking mean, about it the... should. It should either be South Carolina or Nevada. And I like the fact Michigan's in the running too. Well, I think it's, I think, you know, this, this reboot, I got to say, I love Iowa. Iowa, don't ever be mad at me. I love, I've spent a lot of, a lot of winners in Iowa and I love Iowa and I love New Hampshire. I love them both. But like, they're very white. It's time. It's time for some change. It's time. It's yeah. time for. And we should. And we should rotate. I think you should rotate every ten. Well, every two cycles. Why not? Yes, I'm for the. I'm really for the rotation plan. I think the rotation plan is a good plan. Whatever you decide is your top four states. Or but whatever. you got to realize and that, like, like moving it them can around. Never, it can never be Florida. It can never be Texas. Oh, it can't it be can never be ones. New York. Because it's too big, too much money. Yeah, you have to. You, it would exclude any small candidate from winning. But if you kept the if you kept the scale at the right scale and then did that rotation, I think you could find your way to a better system than the one we have currently. We one we've had for the last few years. Um, well, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, this has been a very very fun episode. I'll see you soon, John. Good to see you, man. Take care. All right, be easy. Thanks.